0: Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. There is victory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Praise God. Let's give him praise one more time. Come on, church. There is victory in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 If you believe that, I want you to turn to at least one person and say, I believe there is victory in Jesus' name. Come on. Tell them boldly. Tell them. I believe it. I believe it. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Thank you, worship team. God bless you today. You may be seated in the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. It's good to be in God's house. Presence of the Lord is present. Not just something discussed, but something felt. Amen. Praise the Lord. I want to welcome you. If it's your first time here at Journey Fellowship, we welcome you. I know it's vacation season, and I know there's a lot of folks on vacation. Pastor Bridget and Leslie, they've, they've, as you can see... This isn't Leslie, brother. Lord, this—he, he, I know he—he looks—he looks better. Leslie's not watching this. He looks better than Leslie does. No, I didn't say that. No, they're on vacation. I said, look, you enjoy. They're—they're they're soaking up the sun in Florida. God bless them. But if it's your first time here, we welcome you in the name of the Lord. We want you to know that this is a wonderful group of people who just love Jesus. And uh, we're on a a journey. And I hope that you don't just start your journey, but I hope you finish it. Amen. So we welcome you here. If If it is your first time, there's a little card that's in the seat in front of you. You can fill that out. Tell us who you are. We'd just love to celebrate you at the end of service. There'll be a little gift that we have for you as well. There's prayer requests. If you're not a first-time guest, this is your home church. This is your, this is your regular place. If you have prayer requests or praise reports, put, put that on that card. Fill it in. Fill it in. Turn it out. Uh, fill it out. Turn it in. And uh, we want to celebrate with you or pray with you. And uh, we know that God is able to do it. You heard it in the word this morning. He can do the impossible. And I believe that and I hope that you do too Because that's the word of the Lord Amen Praise the Lord Praise the Lord Well, I want to get into the word of God this morning We're going to keep moving through 1 Peter I'm going to switch over here, Austin Amen Got me? All right. Continuing through 1 Peter And this morning we're going to talk about a subject that's, That's a little bit Uh, anticlimactic, I guess you would say, to what we've just been walking through and feeling here in this worship time. When I was 15 years old, I had didn't have my driver's license, but I had a car. And we were at a church, and my dad was performing a wedding, and I told my dad and my mom, I was like, I don't want to stay here at this wedding. I was 15 years old, and I said, I don't want to stay here. Would you let me and my buddy drive home? Now, keep in mind, I didn't have my driver's license, and I harassed my parents enough until finally my dad gave in and he said, "Okay, you can drive home, but you got to take the back roads. It's not—it wasn't very far. You got to take the back roads, and then when you go home, you get there and you stay there. Don't you go anywhere?" I'm like, "Yes, sir." I got into the car. I got onto the main highway, this little four-lane highway, and I was going to be on that highway for about one block, and then I was going to turn and get onto the little back streets and, and make my way home, me and my buddy. When I got onto the main road, within a few hundred feet as I'm driving down this main road, which happened in my hometown, a little small town, was the drag. Anybody remember the drag, the strip, Everybody used to drive, drive down and you just kind of hang out side of the road. I went a few hundred feet and all of a sudden I see this good looking girl in a car driving past me. We went to school together and my buddy noticed her too. And as I was looking at her driving past, hoping that she was looking at me as I was driving past, I did not look at the light That I was supposed to look at. The very intersection that I was going to turn on, I just turned, regardless of the color. Guess what color it was. Yeah, you guessed, it was red. I turned left across those two lanes of incoming traffic. And the last sound I heard before I hear this crash was the squealing of tires. My friend was down, he was bent down looking for a a cassette. And as he picked up a cassette and said, hey, here's one, he turns and looks, and there's a car headlight right in his door window. Bam! I remember pulling over, it it, kind of blurred out at that moment. Main and 81, right there. I pulled over to the side. The guy's truck was pretty smashed. My car was pretty smashed. And I pulled over. And all I could think of was my dad's words, you better be careful. I was not, I could throw a rock from the church. I didn't even make it 500 yards before I had a wreck. And I remember the police officer showing up. There were like, In a town like that, it's not just like one police officer. It's like eight of them. And like the whole town, because there's not much going on, so everybody's got to show up and see what happened. And I remember all of the police officers coming. I remember one police officer, this huge guy, he looked at me and they had been talking to each other and they knew because the officer said, hey, I need your license. And I said, I don't have one. I remember him shaking his head and he went and talked to some other officers and I remember those officers as I'm sitting on them, I said what do you want me to do he's like just sit right there and I'm just kind of sitting in the grass just I remember one officer walked by me and he's just You know what I'm thinking? I'm going to jail. I'll never I I won't get my license till I'm 35. This is terrible. It was horrible. Then my dad rolls up It was worse then absolutely worse and what does dad say first thing out of his mouth how's the car (laughs) man that was my first run-in with the police if you think of the hardest doctrine there is in the bible to try to understand or to do you think of several things Think of the doctrine of the Trinity. How many of us can really comprehend the God who is triune three in one? That's hard. What about the doctrine of election? That God chose us way by... He chose and appointed us for, for righteousness way before the creation of the world. God's plan has been in effect for a long, long, long time and it's hard for us to even understand what that plan is. It's hard to understand those things. But to understand or to, to do those things, that's one thing. But to do something, to do the do a doctrine, I guess the hardest doctrine, and that's my message today, the most challenging Christian doctrine that there is in the church is the doctrine of submission. The doctrine of submission. And the reason why I believe that is because nobody likes to be told what to do. Is there anybody in this room who likes to be told what to do? Jay, I didn't say you get told what to do. I said who likes to be told what to do. Nobody likes to be told, this is what you have to do, this is where you're going, going to go, this is what you're going to have to say. As a matter of fact, American culture is based upon that precise idea that we are free from, from uh, restrictive laws and tyrannical government and, and we can, as Americans, do what we want to do because we are the land of the free and the home of the brave and this is my, this is my life and I'm going to be able to do Just what I want to do. And that is not just an American proclivity. It is, a matter of fact, a part of human nature. It's not just an American thing. Nobody, whether you're in Africa or India or Europe or Asia, nobody likes to be told what to do. Whether you have to do it or not, all of us want to be sovereign. We want to choose our own way. As a matter of fact, Isaiah says this in Isaiah 53. He says, For all like sheep have gone astray. All of us have gone astray. We're all, we've all, and the message says that we've all done our own thing. We've all gone our own way. Why? Because we want to be the master of our own universe. We naturally tend to resist authority. And that's why I believe the hardest Christian doctrine there is to do is the doctrine of submission. We don't want to be told. We don't want to be given orders. We don't like to submit. It is hard. It is against human nature because it's just not something that we naturally desire. But listen to this. Without submission, you have no safety. You have no security, you have no protection, and you have no music. You say, what do you mean, pastor? You have no music. A study was done of an orchestra, of how orchestra people in an orchestra perceive one another. And the the study discovered of the several sections in an orchestra that people looked at the percussion section, you know, the drummers and the the cymbal players, they saw, they thought that these folks were, were probably the most insensitive, maybe unintelligent, certainly hard of hearing, but they were fun-loving people. These were the percussionists. They saw the string instruments, the violins and the cellos. They saw them as a little bit arrogant and stuffy, maybe even unathletic. The brass, there was one word that they used to describe brass players, trumpets and trombones. They called them loud the woodwind instruments the saxophones and the clarinets and the double reeded instruments they were looked at as with highest esteem because they seemed to be the quiet meticulous but sometimes could be very egotistical but the question was how could a group of people with different personalities different perceptions bit, different talents how can they make music together and there is only one word that describes how you make music together and that is submission even this morning, as the instruments begin to play and as the singers begin to sing, the only way that they can do that is through mutual submission to one another. And without the conductor of an orchestra and everyone in the different parts submitting to the conductor, there is no music that can be made. There would be, there would be noise, but there would not be music. And that's exactly what Peter is going to talk about today. The world is watching how we live and it's watching three areas of our life and that's where I'm going to just pick up this morning in 1 in Peter. The world watches our civil life, our social life, and our family life. That's what the world is looking at when they look at you as Christians. And they will determine whether they want to know God or not according to how they see your life in those three areas read it with me second in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 scripture says this submit yourselves for the lord's sake to every authority instituted among men whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to com- and to commend those who do right For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Live as free men, but do not use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as servants of God. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. Honor the King. Father, I pray that you just take these words this morning, that you would help us, Lord God, especially, Lord, in the days and the time that we live Lord, to understand that, Lord, submission is a reflection of a godly heart. And, Lord, I pray that, God, that this world, Lord, so desperately, that so desperately needs to see righteousness and a good life and godliness would be able to see that in our lives today. Let your word speak to us in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Thank you, Lord. Praise the Lord. I want to just give you real quickly four guidelines for Christian submission. Okay? Now, when I talked about civil submission and social submission and familial submission, just wait until we get into that familial submission where it talks about husbands and wives. Aren't you excited for that? Husbands, love and submit to your wife. Wives, submit to your husband. I am excited about that Sunday morning. We're going to preach about the husbands and wives. But today, we're going to start on our civil submission. I want to, I want to just say this. and look If you look in verse 13, I want you to notice something. That the first guideline that you see in Christian submission is that it is not a natural calling. He says, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Submit is that Greek word that means, it's hupotasso, which means to arrange in an orderly fashion. It's really a military term where soldiers would line up in formation under the commanding officer and they would get in order. They would arrange themselves so that they would be all in order, ready to march or ready to go into battle, whatever it might be. Peter, on the other hand, he doesn't use a military in a military sense. Peter uses it with implying voluntary cooperation. What, he's, what he doesn't say is, submit yourselves to the authorities that you agree with. Or submit yourselves to the authorities who align with your politics. I can already tell this is going to be a great morning. He says, submit yourselves to, for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. As so I sit on the curb there at Maine in 81, I submitted myself to what the officer told me to do. I wasn't about to just walk off. I submitted myself because I knew in that moment, he had the authority. Believers are not to be subversive, but they're supposed to be submissive. Believers are not supposed to be rebellious Troublemakers, but they're supposed to be model citizens. And in our current climate, in our current cultural climate, with a government that sometimes seems like it's off the rails, miniature tyrants around even our country flexing their own muscles, it's easy to get frustrated and to naturally want to respond. In a natural way and say, Peter, if you only knew the kind of world we live in today, you wouldn't have written something like that. If you knew what we were facing in our world, in our culture, in the United States, you wouldn't have written that, Peter. You probably would have written something else. This is the same guy who pulled his sword the night Jesus was betrayed. Don't forget that. But you have to understand the context. Peter, you wouldn't have written that. Well, understand Peter's context. In the New Testament life, in Peter's day, he lived in a world that was politically corrupt. It was absolute corruption. It was filled with all types of little tyrants, many tyrants who who just wanted power and, and and wanted money, and they were greedy in his world, in Peter's world, there was no democracy, there was no voting, there was no free speech. It was an autocracy, which meant that one person made the rules, and one person enforced the rules. You see, one time a year in Peter's day, everybody had to go, and they were required to worship Caesar, and they would go to Caesar, to to the, to the local area where Caesar's... Uh, stamp and his his seal was placed, and to the to the Praetorian or the governor, and they would have to say this: Caesar is Lord. And when they would say that as a citizen, they would receive a little certificate, a little thing that they call a libellius, and they would give them that libellius, and that libellius would would be able to demonstrate to everybody in the in the in their community in their neighborhood that they had fallen in line and that they were verified as being worshiping Caesar. They were loyal. They were patriots. They were true. But guess what? The Christians didn't participate. And because the Christian community did not participate, they were ridiculed. They were persecuted. That was the type of pressure that was placed upon Christians in Peter's day. Now you still want to say, Well, Peter, if you would have known what what the world we live in today, you wouldn't have written that. This is the context that Peter's writing in. Slavery in Peter's day was an epidemic. Over half of the people in the Roman Empire were slaves. Slavery in those days wasn't based upon race it was based upon social standing or status it didn't matter what color you were there could be slaves you could own slaves and half of the of the of the empire were slaves their life was not their own it was somebody else's you talk about taxes we have no idea there were taxes that were crushing and so oppressive that it was a form of legal injustice the poor were were absolutely oppressed by taxes they would take they weren't there weren't any any just laws that said you know we, we were going to protect maybe those who don't have a whole lot and we're going to keep them from having to pay more everybody had to pay the same amount and those who didn't even have it they would take the very last penny that they had and leave them abjectly in poverty this was the kind of world that Peter's writing from when he says, hey, submit yourself to every authority. Submit yourself to, to for the Lord's sake to all of these. This is the world that Jesus entered. That type of world, a world with oppressive taxes, with tyrants and slavery and all these things. This is the world that Jesus was a part of. It's kind of surprising, isn't it? You mean to give you something more surprising than that? When Jesus came, they thought that he would come and deliver them from this oppression and this injustice and this persecution. But guess what? Jesus never picketed. He never marched on Rome. He never started an insurrection. He didn't even try to win a culture war. One of the things that Jesus did was just love people, and that surprised people more than anything. How in the world would Jesus show up to this world and not do anything about what's currently going on? What you see is in an ungodly culture, and an unjust government, what is a Christian supposed to do? Well, the natural tendency is what? We resist. We revolt. We attack. And it's so counterintuitive what Peter writes. He says this. He says, look, I'm giving you an unnatural calling. Submit yourself to every authority instituted among men. I know some of you are saying, Pastor, I should have stayed home today. I didn't write it. You know why? Because I probably wouldn't have. Thank God for the Apostle Peter. You see, Christian submission is not a natural calling. When you're told you have to do something, when you're told that there is a law, when you are told that you have to submit, unnatural or naturally you want to resist. You want to push back against the rules in that school. You want to push back against the rules in that home. You want to push back against the rules of our society. and You want to push back and resist. And Peter says, submit. That's your first choice. Submit. But it doesn't stop there. The second thing is that when you do that, you have to understand that earthly authorities are subject to heavenly authority. That's a big, that's a big thing to understand. All earthly authorities are subject to heavenly authority. He says, so submit to every institution. He says, you can submit, in verse 13, he said, to the king as supreme authority or to governors or to those who are sent to aim uh, by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. There's a hierarchy of authority. We have that in our own country today. You have that in every nation around the world. There's a hierarchy. You have the king. In those days, it was Caesar Nero. You have governors, which would have been like Pontius Pilate. There were 28 of those in the Roman Empire over different areas of that, of that empire who had legal authority over all of the people who lived in that place. You had the law enforcement. You had the soldiers. They were the beat cops that walked down the street. They were the ones, uh, the sneaky little motorcycle cops that likes to hide right there on 377. I don't know if y'all have seen them. We're driving to church this morning. I told Shannon, I said, you better watch it. Those sneaky little motorcycle cops are parked up in that driveway right there. You got the, you got the law enforcement you have these, this order, all of them have been given certain roles of authority, and here's the role that they're supposed to play. I want you to look at verse 14. Look at it, this is so important. because Some of you have tried to make sense of all this that's going on in our world today, and Peter has a really good explanation. He says, look, there's a role that these people in authority are supposed to play. Their role is to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. So in other words, what Peter's saying is he's saying, you don't have to fear the authorities unless you're breaking the law. But how many of you, when you are driving down the road and you see a cop, you immediately tap the brakes or you instinctively look and see how fast you're going? Can can I just get a... You just see the cop, and immediately, what do you do? It's like automatic. Just checking. I do that. And when I see the cop, and I'm speeding, and I know I'm speeding, what's the first thing I say? Oh, my God, please let him be blind. Don't let him see this car. Just let me be invisible like the Holy Spirit. Just let him not see me at all. Let me just boom right past him, right? I just want to move right past him. He'll never see me. You know, I just try to use that, and you don't see anything. That Jedi trick. You don't see anything here. If I look and I see my speedometer and I'm, and I'm doing right, and I'm not speeding and I'm, just, I'm right on the money, what do I do? Oh, Lord, thank you for those men in blue who are just watching out for those crazy people speeding around me. Those people from Journey Fellowship that drive like a bunch of crazy animals. Lord, just, Lord, help them. Bless those guys. That's what we do. Because... We know that they have authority in those situations and, and we know that, that that they're supposed to to do something about someone who's doing wrong and, and commend those who are doing right. But the question is then comes who is it that declares what is wrong and what is right? Is it the police officer that pulls you over and says, you know what? I think you were going a little too fast. What's the speed limit, sir? Well, that doesn't really matter because I really I think you were just driving a little too fast. Every authority is not supposed to have arbitrary authority. Every authority is supposed to have ordained authority. And that's what Peter writes. There's a role that authorities are supposed to play and that is to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right but what pastor what happens if the rulers and those in authority are unrighteous they're unjust they're despots what do you do about that Don't you think about in peter's day peter writes this letter two years before the great persecution in 64 AD. And what happens, it turns out to be the greatest, one of the greatest massacres of Christians in all of Christendom. There was a, there was a fire that started in Rome. Many scholars believe that Nero, the C, that Caesar himself, started the fire. He created a crisis so that he could gain more power. And so what happens is this fire begins to burn, and guess who becomes the scapegoats who he blames as starting the fire? Who is it? The Christians. You're right. The Christians get the blame. They're the instigators. They're the ones who say that they won't uh, honor me as Lord. They're the ones who who revolt. They're the ones who who resist my authority. They're the ones who do this. And so what does he do? He gets into NASCAR. What? He liked to ride chariots, Caesar Nero did. And he liked to do it not just in the daytime, but he liked to do it at night. And so in his palace grounds, he would get in his in chariot, and, and when it would start to get dark, he'd have to go in, so he got a solution. He said, you know what I'm going to do with, these, with, these, uh, with this problem? He sends his soldiers out. And he rounds up as many Christians as he can. He brings them back to the palace every day. During the day, he'd round up several Christians. He'd bring them back to the palace. He'd cover them in pitch and he'd cover them in tar. And then when the sun went down, he would stick them against posts, lining the, the, uh, the racetrack there at the palace, and he would light them on fire alive while he rode his chariot around so he could see. Talk about a despot. Pastor, what do you do when you have someone like this who's in charge? What are you going to do when you have a king who's in charge like this? If you just look at historical observation, you see that the world has always got a Nero or a Hitler or a Mao Zedong or a Kim Jong-il or any ungodly congressman or senator or administration. The world's always going to have those things. We've seen it over and over. So the question becomes, is there ever a time when a Christian should and cannot or should defy its government? And the answer to that is yes. Yes. And let me explain to you why. Because the general rule, Peter says, submit. The general rule is submit. Submit. But the specific rule is submit until submitting to earthly authority makes you not submit to heavenly authority. Remember, authority is not arbitrary, it is ordained. And all authority is given by God, as Paul says in Romans chapter 13. You obey until your obedience makes you disobey God. Let me give you some biblical examples of that. If you look in Exodus chapter 1, you see the story of the Egyptians and Pharaoh where Moses, in the time of Moses, where the Egyptians look upon the the course of their entire society and they say, wow, these Hebrew people are overwhelming us. We're going to have to do something about it. So the idea was, well, let's do this. Let's just eliminate all of the male children. That'll cut them in half. And so an order from the government from Pharaoh himself says, I want you to kill all of the male babies to the midwives, those who were giving birth. So all of you, all of you uh, midwives, whenever there is a, a male child that's born, I want you to kill it. And But look at what the midwives did in verse 17. The midwives, however, feared God. And they did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. Why? Because it was opposing to God's will. God is not into murdering infants. He's not into murdering babies, whether in outside of the womb or inside of the womb. Can I get an amen? So you resist. Daniel's diet. He challenged the dietary laws. Daniel chapter 1, he did not do what the government told him to do. Look, this is how we're going to eat. This is what we're going to eat. But Daniel in verse, uh, chapter 1 verse 8 says, But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Daniel was such a slick guy. He didn't just say, Well, bless God, I'm just not doing that. He told him, Look, I'm just going to let you know up front. I'm not going to submit to this. I'm not going to do this. This is not what God has called me to do. This is not going to work. You fast forward just a little little further, two chapters later, you see Nebuchadnezzar, who has called all people to worship him. And all of a sudden, three dudes come up, three young men. This three Hebrew trio, they walk up and when they say, okay, blow the trumpets, and when they sound the trumpets, you're going to fall down and you're going to worship Nebuchadnezzar as God. And all of a sudden they blow the trumpets and all these thousands of people just fall down and they begin to worship it. And here's this three Hebrew trio standing up, hands in their pockets. Nope. Ain't doing that. I don't care what what you say. I am not doing that. What's the scripture say? It says in verse 18, We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you have set up. We are not going to deny our God worship no matter what you say or what you do. And sure enough, what did they do? They threw them into a fiery furnace. Can I just tell you that if you stand up for what you truly believe and the government is on the other side of that or the law is on the other side of that, you may experience a fiery furnace. What they prove is so awesome, and that is they're willing to die for what they believe. My friend, you need to consider yourself, just like Paul said, I am dead to this world. I am dead to sin and alive in Christ. No matter what you do to me or how you persecute me, I stand upon the Word of God that He says that no matter what I do or go through or suffer or persecute it, that He's going to see me on the other side. I'm going to do it. That's what they did. Nope. Not going to do it. You can throw us in whatever you want to throw us in. Same thing happened to Daniel. The law was passed in Daniel chapter 6. It said you cannot pray anymore. You're not going to pray anymore. Haven't we heard a law like that before? You're not allowed to pray. You're not allowed to, to say those things. I mean, just this year, just in the last few weeks... There's been pushback from valedictorian speeches at high school graduations where they mention the name of Jesus and then everything explodes because, oh, you you can't do that. And thank God for some courageous 18-year-old kids who will stand up there and say, in the name of Jesus... Thank God for people who are willing, just like Daniel and like these three young Hebrews, to stand up and say, you know what, enough is enough. I will not contradict my own faith and my own belief. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Daniel, when he learned of the decrees, I love it. When he learned that the decree was published, he went home and the Bible says that he opened all of his windows. He wasn't trying to hide it. He's like, man, I'm going to pray quietly. He opened his windows. And I think he got a little bit charismatic on us too. Began to pray and pray loudly. And look what it says. He got down on his knees. He prayed. He gave thanks to God just as he has done before. Bless God. I've been praying like this all my life and I'm not going to stop now. No law, no edict, no decree. I'm doing it. You carry over to the New Testament. You find Peter and the other apostles. They said, look, bring these guys in. They bring them before Herod, the Sanhedrin. They say, look, you've got to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. It's stirring up trouble around around Judea. You You can't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And I love Peter who stood up him and... The other apostles, John, they answered this. We must obey God rather than men. You see, the authorities are subject to heavenly authority. In modern history, you've seen that. We've seen it over and over. We've seen people defy the laws of Nazi Germany. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a great example. We've seen people defy the laws of a, of a Soviet Union. We've seen people defy the laws. We see churches, even today, who meet in communist China, defying the laws, meeting underground, because they say, we will not go against the word of God. And these same scenarios are confronting us today. There's laws on the books that deal with abortion. There's laws on the books now that deal with same sex. There are times when you have to challenge the authorities because their authority is derived from the ultimate authority. A couple of weeks ago, I told you that our city council was looking to make a statement that some on our city council in Denton was trying to make a statement. As many of you know, people recognize June as Pride Month. For the LGBTQ community, they recognize this as a a way to celebrate their distinctiveness. And so our city council was going to take up a resolution and take up a discussion on whether to fly the gay pride flag underneath or atop of our city government buildings. And I encouraged you at the end of service a few weeks ago to write to the city council as they had their meeting last week I just want to read you what letter I wrote because there are times when you have to let your voice be heard. I wrote this, Dear City Council members, it has come to my attention that the council will be taking up discussion on whether to fly a flag over our city's public buildings that represents a select group of people in our community, namely the LGBTQ community. My question is what possible rationale is there for doing this? Why don't we fly a flag for all of our Denton constituents? Say a Mexican flag for all of our residents with a Mexican heritage. Do I have any Mexican heritage people in the room today? Can you say, Yeah, you're a Panamanian. I knew you would do that. You're just jealous. You're just jealous of tacos and burritos, right? Thank you, Maria, for the carne asada. Thank you. Ah, that's right. Anyway, back to the letter. Or maybe we fly a thin blue line flag that represents our police officers and first responders. What about a POW-MIA flag that represents all of those servicemen and women who have made great sacrifices for our nation? I may be wrong, but I have yet to hear about the council taking up such discussions to recognize and represent these members of our community. It seems to me that several council members just want to seem virtuous with certain constituents of our city. This is a typical political theater, to celebrate one group and to isolate another and produce a community that is even more divided than before. It is hypocritical at best to talk about unity in our community and yet promote division by celebrating certain groups in our community. There should be only one flag that is flown, and that is the American flag. This nation is made up of a countless of countless groups and tribes of people all of whom have their own uniquenesses. If we want a strong community, we will come together as Americans and not divide ourselves with identity politics. It does nothing but weaken the fabric of our society and community. So if you support the LGBTQ agenda and then and 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 or part of them, then go support them at their rallies and marches. But do not force everyone in our community to celebrate something that they may also disagree with. Just keep it American, and the community will be better off for it. There are times when you have to speak. You have to address issues. You have to take a stand. You have to be the three Hebrew children who stand alone. You have to be Daniel who says, Bless God, I'm going to do it no matter what they say because God in heaven has ordained me to do so. The authorities derive their authority from Him. And then, thirdly, you have to understand submission gives and serves a higher purpose. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake. For it's God's will that by doing so, in verse 14, in verse 15, that you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish men. Wouldn't it be great if not one more foolish person, man or woman, ever spoke on television again? That you wouldn't read one more foolish statement on Twitter or Facebook? What a happy, wonderful world. What a wonderful... I can hear Louis Armstrong singing it now. Just get rid of that stuff. You see, there's an upward purpose. We do these things. We submit, and we do so for the Lord's sake. We do it to honor the Lord because God is honored when His earthly representatives are seen as stabilizers in our society. and not troublemakers in our society. The greatest motivation is that it's done for the Lord's sake. Why do you submit to the police? Why do you submit to the judge? Why do you submit? It's because it's our greatest motivation to do so. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's like a parent who says, hey, don't play in the street. And when the kid says, why not? You say, because I said so. I don't need to explain. We do it because it's for the Lord's sake. And it's His will. It's God's will that we do that. There's only a few places in the New Testament that says specifically, this is the will of God. This is one of them. So what do we do? Well, don't break the law. That's a good start. It's a good place to start. Because a good Christian should be a good citizen. And when you are, you can have a clear conscience. Kind of like the guy who wrote the IRS letter and he he said, Dear IRS, here's $150 because I misfigured my taxes last year. If that's not enough, I'll send you the rest. What I'm saying is that you don't have to like your government you don't have to like that police officer who may not even cut you any slack you don't have to like the judge you don't have to like the administration you don't have to like the president you don't have to like your your congressman you don't have to like your senators you don't have to like them but what you should do is honor the government for its role and do your best to cooperate with them That doesn't mean you can't dissent. That doesn't mean that you can't write letters. That doesn't mean that you can't say something and speak out because we should when injustice is not present. You should. That's a different issue. He says, submit. Because when you do so, you silence the ignorance of foolish people. There's people that's always looking at you to try to find dirt on you. They're, they're examining you. They want to see you mess up. They want to see you fail. They want to see you fall. And the best witness that you can be is for you to live a godly life, a righteous life. That includes being a good citizen. The greatest apologetic that you can show to anybody, any of your friends, your neighbors, is that you live a redeemed life. Peter said, submit. Submit. And in so you will be, find yourself free. You know, it's it's unusual, it's unique, in that he says, I want you to submit, and he said, I want you to be free at the same time. It seems like a paradox, it seems like it doesn't fit. It seems like he made a mistake there, or he just jumped to some totally other thought idea. I believe it fits perfectly. My, I have a, a cousin, and she was training at a young age to be a gymnast. I mean, when she was tiny, tiny, little bitty girl, she was just the most athletic, she was just like a, just, I don't she, just incredibly strong for her age, and she was an incredible gymnast. And she began to train at the age I believe was like five, four or five in gymnastics. and she grew up, she got older, got into junior high. The coaches the coach that was notable around the, around the country told them told the parents said, "Look, if you want her to be in the Olympics someday." You have to give her to me. She's going to lose her childhood. She's going to lose her her high school years her, her because her life will be engulfed with gymnastics. That's all it's going to be about. You're going to have to lose your freedoms to choose, to go hang out. When I tell you you have to, to work out, you have to work out. When I tell you you've got a break, that's when you've got the break. You're going to have to do these things, but when you become an Olympian, It'll be worth it. You see, these people that train for the Olympics, they give up their restrictions. They, they give up certain freedoms to gain others. Nobody has called me to fill in for any gymnast this summer at the Olympics. If I did a backhand spring, Carlos, you'd have to bring a wheelbarrow and a shovel to pick up all the parts. You give up those freedoms. What he's saying is he says there's certain freedoms that you are given by God. And the certain times that you give certain things up, you're going to gain freedoms and those. You have to look for the higher purpose. For the higher purpose. You may not agree with certain laws, as long as they don't contradict your faith, you may not agree with them, but you submit to them so that you can have higher purpose because without certain laws, you can't have safety, you can't have security, you have other freedoms that you have. And then finally, let me just close with this. How do you do all this? Four ways. It's practical, very practical. First of all, you respect every single human. Look at verse 17. It's practical submission. Respect every single human. Every person deserves a certain amount of respect. It doesn't matter whether they hate you or you hate them, God forbid. If they practice the the lifestyle that you disagree with or, or whatever they are, they deserve to be respected as a human being because they have been created and made in the image of God. Peter wrote this in the backdrop of the first century where slaves weren't considered human beings, where women had zero rights. And, Christians, and Peter's writing this to emphasize that the Christian church, the community, the, the gospel or the community of faith, the Christian family has no room for discrimination whatsoever. It doesn't mean that we mindlessly tolerate unrighteous behavior but every person deserves to be honored as being created in the image of god can i hear an amen from that every person then he says you just love the brotherhood of believers john 13 35 says by all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another Notice he doesn't say, John doesn't say, all men will know you're my disciples if you love the world around you, if you do great outreaches, if you will love the poor people, if you will love the the people in your neighborhood. He says, if you'll love one another. Who's he talking to? He's talking to the believers. You know what John has done in, in John chapter 13? Jesus has given the world through John permission to judge us. Don't ever as a Christian say, well, don't judge me. No, God has given the world permission to judge you. According to how you love the people sitting down the row from you, love the brotherhood of believers. Fear God. This reverential respect for God. Don't treat God as just another part of your week. Don't treat Sunday as something less sacred than what it is. Honor Him. And then He says, Honor the King. Comes full circle. He mentions the king again, like he did in verse 13. In verse 13, though, it's different. He, in verse 13, he talks about the action, but here he's dealing with attitude. How do you know that? If you've got children, you know this very well. You can do something and then still have a terrible attitude about doing it. You know what Peter's saying? He's saying, Be careful how you talk about your governing authorities. It goes beyond just, just doing what they say or what laws cover us like an umbrella, but what about the attitude? Be careful what you say about the current president of the United States or the former president of the United States. Be careful what you say about the Congress and senators and governors. Be careful what you say about police officers because they are in a place, listen, that God has allowed them to be. God has allowed them to be. And if God has allowed them to be there, they should be, as Paul instructs in Romans 13, they should be prayed for. Because God's purpose most of the time goes beyond our understanding to see past it. As I read this, I honestly, I had to repent. Because I have said more about our government than I have prayed for about our government. Well, I hate Donald Trump. Have you prayed for him? I, I can't stand Joe Biden. Have you prayed for him? I just stepped into your front yard right there. That Nancy Pelosi, she's just crazy. Have you prayed for her, Governor Abbott? He doesn't know what he's. Have you prayed for him? Submit, as he says, yourselves to the Lord for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men. Let submission be a hallmark of our lives. Only until your obedience causes you to disobey God do you step out of line and say no. Otherwise, let the world see us as stabilizers in our society and not antagonists. Amen? Let's bow our heads this morning father i thank you lord for your word lord it was unique this morning challenging in certain ways lord but i pray that god that we would just stop and take a breath in such a highly politically charged world and current environment that we live in god don't allow that to infiltrate the church Let us keep the main thing, the main thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And let us do like Peter and those other disciples of the first century. Though all of these things were going on in their day, Lord, they continued to keep the main thing, the main thing. They focused upon the redeeming work of Christ. Lord, let that be the facts in our life and in our day, in our time, in 2021 and years coming when Congress is come and go and administrations come and go, Lord God, let us keep the main focus, and that is that we're not of this world and that we are not just trying to fix all of the ills of this world which cannot be fixed by man, but we are looking for a day when we will see you and the justice that you bring as the judge of all the earth. We will be in line with your will. Lord, help us, Lord, to pray for our leaders. I pray, Lord God, that your will would be done in their life. Whether your will is, Lord, to use them destructively or instructively, God, that is your business. But we pray that your will would be done in their life. Give them wisdom. Give them, Lord, the mind of Christ. And help us, Lord, to be examples and representatives, Lord, for your kingdom. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.